0: Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Genesis in the sixth chapter. This uh, is not this morning's appointed Old Testament reading from the revised common lectionary. So I'm asking for forgiveness for for stepping outside the bounds. But uh, this particular text uh, speaks volumes When it is taken in conjunction with the New Testament text from Matthew, which we'll hear shortly. Uh, So in Genesis 6, beginning at verse 5, we hear an introduction of a fellow by the name of Noah. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. "The The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth... And behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the gospel according to Matthew in the first chapter, beginning at verse 18 and continuing through verse 25. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place. This way, when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Joseph. We are told in this morning's text, Joseph was a righteous man. Now, it may not sound that way at first, but this is a most extraordinary description by a contributor to scripture. Scripture. We know a bit about this fellow Joseph from this introduction in the Gospel according to Matthew, and along the way, we will come to know a bit more about this fellow Joseph, but not a great deal about him, certainly not as much as we will learn about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Though not as much is said, what is said about Joseph is quite telling. When Joseph... It is referred to here as a righteous man. It marks a very rare use of that term by a Hebrew author. I've read this passage from Matthew countless times before. And as I was meditating on it and praying over it this week, I was invited to look closer at this description of Joseph. And when I did, this is what I found. Throughout the writings comprising the Old Testament, readers are introduced to uh, an array of heroic figures. Some of those that we are best and first acquainted with as kids in Sunday school are folks like David, who slew the mighty Goliath, Daniel, who withstood a trip to the lion's den, Moses, who led a reluctant, rebellious people through the wilderness to the entrance of the promised land. Joseph, who went from Hebrew slave to Pharaoh's most powerful aid in all of Egypt. Elijah, who prayed and received fire from heaven to show up the prophets of Baal. Abraham, who was to be the father of many nations, blessed by God to be a blessing to the peoples. Yet not a one of these heroes were ever introduced to us in Scripture using the phrase, a righteous man. In fact, throughout the entirety of the story of the Old Testament, there is no prophet, no priest, no king of any stature or of any land who is ever described thusly, but for one. And that we read in this morning's text, from Genesis 6. Fascinatingly. We first meet Noah when we are told that he had found favor in the eyes of the Lord again. Throughout all the heroes of the Old Testament. Not a single one. Nobody is said to have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It was going to be through this man, Noah, and his family. Hence the genealogy that we get here in Genesis 6. That humanity was going to be saved from the wrath of God. And so it was with Joseph, whose genealogy is likewise presented for us. Through the son of Mary, he would raise as his own. God would provide mankind a way, even though the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, in the days of Joseph, just as it had been in the days of Noah before. So, what does it mean that in the Gospel according to Matthew, Joseph is uniquely described as a righteous man? Well, we know from the account of Father Abraham that in... We know that... In a similar fashion to the story of Noah, we have an account of an elderly man who was trusted enough by God with an important mission. He was given a task, and he was obedient in that task. It may have sounded far-fetched to it. It was far-fetched, but nonetheless, he was obedient to the task that was given to it. Abraham was given the task to go. Go take your possessions, your family and leave everything that you know. Go on a journey to a place you've never been, and I'm going to show you, but I'm not going to show you till you get there. And Abraham said, Alright, Lord, I'll go. Noah is given a task. Build this great ark and gather all these animals inside. But it's not raining, Lord. (laughs) Why would I build an ark? Because I said so. Okay, Lord, I'll build an ark. And I'll get the animals. I'll do as you said. We know that for Abraham, God reckoned his faithfulness to him as righteousness. Hmm? Noah, we are told, was a righteous man. So what does this mean? What does it mean to be righteous? Well, one thing we know about both of these stories is that they feature a person who is trusting In God. That's a biblical hallmark of righteousness. One who trusts in God. For a Hebrew of Joseph's era, being faithful and trusting in God means, among other things, honoring the law of God, the law that was given to Moses. And Joseph took the law seriously. When it came to His attention that his betrothed wife was expecting a child which was not of him, he knew what the ramifications were. His young bride-to-be was proven to have been guilty of committing adultery. Back then, you have to remember, in such quaint and backwards times as those, such behavior was still considered a no-no. The act of infidelity was the only one that was grounds for termination of a marriage covenant. It was also grounds for termination of the woman who was found to be participating in the act. When Jesus was preaching and teaching in the Jerusalem temple, the Pharisees made a point of bringing to him a woman who had been, according to the Gospel of John, caught in the very act. Of adultery. And as they turned him her over to Jesus and said, what should be done with her?" they bent down and picked up the rocks, prepared to carry out the sentence in accordance with the Mosaic law. but as author of that law, Jesus knew what was said in it. He knew what was allowed in the text, but he also knew what the law of God's mercy allowed for as well. And he intervened in this case of transgression and imminent and violent punishment. And his intervention on behalf of the woman caught in adultery mirrors that of his father, Joseph. His own earthly father, Joseph, was merciful to his mother, Mary, and that allowed for Jesus himself to survive to birth. While sparing Mary from the wrath of the law was a most generous and benevolent act on Joseph's part an angel of the Lord would appear to him and give him further instructions on how he was to up his game even further. Not only was he to refrain from dealing violently with Mary, he was to deal extraordinarily compassionately, even tenderly with her, in much the same way which God our Father has committed to dealing with us. Joseph was to continue to take Mary to be his wife, in effect forgiving her as if nothing had happened. Her apparent sin was to be pardoned in the manner that the sins apparent and all too real of all the world could now be pardoned through that one who was growing inside of her. The angel of the Lord revealed to Joseph the very special nature of the child who was in the ark of Mary's womb and directed him on what to do from this point forward. These things, the author of the gospel, according to Matthew, tells us, were all done in fulfillment of prophecies contained in the Old Testament. The God who was active in his creation throughout the pages of the Hebrew Scriptures, is the very same God who is active in his creation in the days of the writing of the New Testament as well. The God of Noah was the God of Joseph. This God and his nature have not changed throughout the generations. And just as a reminder, that's what's really important in all this, God. Christmas is, after all, about God's gift of deliverance, to a sinful and an undeserving people. It isn't about Noah, and it isn't about Joseph, nor is it even about Mary. Sorry, Sam. But it's about what God did and does through Jesus, the coming of the supremely righteous one. Both the witnesses of the Old and the New Testaments reveal to us the often surprising ways that God uses human agents to accomplish his perfect will. And we had a look at some of that handiwork last Sunday. But through it all, it is God who is the author of righteousness. And any person, be it Noah or Joseph or anyone else who is described as being righteous, is only as righteous As a sinful person can ever be. The righteousness of God, however, that's a whole nother level of righteousness. And it is this very righteousness which Jesus now gifts or imputes to those who have responded to the invitation to put on Christ. It is Righteousness which is unattainable by any means other than a pure gift from a pure God to a purified child of God. The righteousness which we now have access to through that child of Mary, the one who was raised by Joseph, the one who fulfilled the lines of the psalmist, who yearned for the Lord to establish the righteous as his inheritance, We, church, we are the righteous, not the self-righteous, not on account of ourselves, though often we get accused of being just that. We are righteous on account purely of what God has done for us in and through Jesus. Having been made and declared so through the redemptive work of our Savior, we have been fitted for the life Of a Noah or of a Joseph, only even more so. Such is the power at work within us and the legacy of the miracle of Christmas. (laughs) Christmas is a day. Rightly, we celebrate it. It's not just any day, but it is a hugely important, a hugely special day. But the story of Jesus doesn't end at midnight on the 25th of December. Christmas marks only the very beginning, when the tree and the lights are taken down, when decorations are returned to the boxes and shuffled off once again up all those steps to the attic. When the batteries and the toys run out, the gift of Christmas lives on. The Christian life does not end with baptism or confirmation or acceptance of the Lord as our personal Savior. Such markers signify only the beginning, just as Noah's work wasn't finished when he built the ark. He still had to load it. He still had to sail it. He still had to nurture all that was on board throughout the voyage, just as Joseph's work wasn't finished. When he gave the baby that name, Jesus, that was appointed for him, the one who would save his people. As father, he still had to care for, he still had to support, and he had to mentor that child to adulthood. So too, our righteous work is far from ended. When we enter the fellowship of the church, we have much to do yet, in service to the one who continues to spread his righteousness throughout the world, in and through his people, continuing to spread around the Christmas joy that we know lasts a lifetime and more. As the psalmist proclaims, we too, like Noah and Joseph and all who trust and obey the God of Genesis, confess, I have occasion to sing, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High, Emmanuel, God with us. And for that we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.